Welcome to Better Than Nothing. What you are about to hear is just me being able to speak with some amazing people that come from many walks of life. Hello, this is Ken Root. I've waited a long time to do this interview. I first met Don Young in 2007 when I was a farm broadcaster at WHO in Des Moines. There was a buzz about a very large pumpkin that had been grown in the Des Moines area. It was big enough, they claimed, to be the largest in the world. I put out the word, and the next day, Don Young called me and invited me over to see it. Now, Don has won many honors as a fancier or hobbyist in growing giant pumpkins. I want to let you hear from him about his breeding, his science, and his hard work behind these orange marvels, because that's really what it's all about. So even if you never intend to grow a pumpkin, but you'd like to grow something large in your garden, or you'd like to grow a larger yield of corn and soybeans, he has what you need in his head to do so. This episode of Better Than Nothing is brought to you by Concept by Iowa Hearing. We are committed to helping you hear better. Visit iowahearing.com or call 877-955-4020 for a free hearing screening. Don Young, how are you? Doing good, doing good, Ken, doing good. You uh, just won the Iowa State Fair. Congratulations on that. Uh, How big was the pumpkin you won the fair with this year? This year's was 1221, and ideally it, it it wasn't set out to be a fair pumpkin. Throughout the years, I've uh, competed at the fair since 2004, uh, off and on and sometimes multiple times, but, um, we would start an early plant because you think about it, October is harvest time and fair in August doesn't really, you know, it's early. So I would start out early plants and they would be doing good, going big. And then all of a sudden I start my fall plants and right at the end of July, my fall plants always passed up the early ones. So I, <laughs> And and so the same thing this year, I was actually growing for the fall, and but the heat got to us. I This is a long, drawn-out story, but I built a geothermal greenhouse with air tubes that go 11 feet in the ground. And at first, the first year, you, you've heard that old saying about clay and a, and a well digger's, you know what, and it's true <laughs> that, that there's cold down below, you know. So in, in Des Moines, I'll tell you that this, the ground temperature is 59 degrees all year round down deep. And it, it varies from northern Iowa to – I've even been in caves in Missouri where it was 72. But So that that said, I put these tubes underneath the greenhouse. Well, that was all fine and dandy the first year. We're ironing out the bugs and things and, and end up with like 1,400s. And all our dirt settled in the tubes. We didn't know much about compacting dirt at the time. But So what what we learned just this year – so you don't get the frost. The soil temperature in the winter was 75, okay, instead of being frozen tundra. The next yeah. year, my my temperature raised about 8 degrees, the soil temperature, the air temperature coming out of these tubes. Well, now it's now it's just hot. So plastic's coming off. But, yeah, we, we had 1221 
But this particular pumpkin was flying. Now, I mean, doing 45, doing doing 58 pounds a couple times uh, per day. They grow like like you're throwing a baseball or something. They they take off slow and they get going, and then they they're on a curve. And so it just slowed right down. We had three days of 99, and I had I tried everything I could to cool it. So it's dropped to like 16 pounds a day for five days. I do a five-day average. Then it just stopped almost cold. It was only doing an inch every five days. It's still growing, but but it's like you knocked all the spark plugs off your engine. It just ain't going to get nowhere. I understand that totally because I almost lived in your pumpkin patch for about three yeah. years uh, going along with what you were doing. But when you grow these giant pumpkins, I think the big weigh-in in Anamosa is the first Saturday in October. Is that right? Yep, always is. Yep, yep. So that means that's your target date of having the pumpkin mature and yep. at its biggest. And when you plant these pumpkins, uh, they're very aggressive plants, and they oh, yeah. just start growing like crazy. And you've got to um, to take care of them. So I want to move into some areas that'll bring us back to kind of what you've explained here. In that, uh, there's three areas I want you to tell me about. One is genetics, one is fertility, and one is cultural practices. And for anybody in anything in agriculture, this holds yep. true. But just yep. consider that Don is doing this at a world-class level in pumpkins. So genetics and pumpkins, where did this giant pumpkin come from? I'll use the Kentucky Derby for just a, a comedy, rarity, whatever, but you won't win the Kentucky Derby with a donkey. It just can't happen. You you need the right genetics. But so this here this here Atlantic giant pumpkin was created by a man named Howard Dill in Nova Scotia. It was only in the 1980s, okay? And um, it's not that old of a thing. He crossbred back and forth soft stem pumpkins and squash. These are not your these are not your field pumpkins that you that you pick up at Walmart when you you have to actually saw the stem off. These are soft. And um, so they're, they was technically by by purists, whatever they'll call them, a, a, um, a squash at first, but, but we're getting them orange, and they've been bred and inbred and back and forth. But here's another another weird example. So in 2007, I had the second biggest pumpkin in the world. You mentioned it, and um, it was 1662. So I I took the plant, I pollinated another plant with that one. That that actual pumpkin I was on Good Morning America had no seeds in it. We were going to cross the two biggest pumpkins. Here, mine had no seeds. So what I did, I took the male pollinator. I pollinated another plant that ended up being a 1207-pound pumpkin. And we took the pollinator from the world record, which was only 27 pounds more than mine, 1689. Uh, we took those and crossed them. You had the pollinators on both sides were the two biggest in the world. I turned around and planted them seeds. And and I ended up going to Half Moon Bay, which you happen to be there, Clarence, California, and it was on tonight showing stuff. So are those two pumpkins from 2007, genetics from it, which I grew in 2009? Another person from California, he actually grew the six, my 1658 and my 1622. He crossed them. Those became the world record pollinator for 2000, 2000 2009 pumpkin later. So now. Fast forward to now, all the pumpkins in the world over 1,800 have that grandpa to them, grandpa and grandma to it, you know. 
so um, the genetics are they've they've traveled on we've went upward and and I thought we would always create a bigger heavier pumpkins and we have those are in the background of all the all the pumpkins nowadays the the world's largest pumpkin that's been grown so far and officially weighed was how big 2702 in Italy. That's unbelievable. In Italy, 2702. Yep. yep. And yep. you that's feel like that's legit. You like that's a legit number? I watched it. So, yeah, and I had good friends of mine. I, I share seeds with people all around the world in Italy, in in Belgium, and they were, and they were there. It was, we, we, it was, it was legit. It was huge. It was a, so there's an OTT, they call it, over-the-top measure, uh, measurement. Right. It's three-way like kind of like scaling a log, getting board feet in a way, but you you come up with the measurement. This was a 515 or 520 inch pumpkin, which is astronomical. But there's actually been a bigger pumpkin. There was a 2900 grown in the United Kingdom that that, but it it was damaged. It had a hole in it, and um, it weighed 2907, I believe, last year. First of all, you're talking about these tapes. You don't pick that pumpkin up and weigh it every day. You run a tape over it. And compute the weight based on the tape. That's what we've done in the in the past. I actually have lifted them. I have a crane, do tree work and stuff. I've actually sat and lift, lifted them with the crane every once in a while to get a better understanding how the chart works. If now now you, you what they call heavy to chart. So a lot of my pumpkins will estimate have estimated fifteen hundred, but end up weighing in the upper sixteens. I've had like five of them in here and. Um, that just means it's thicker, and um, so 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 going forward next year, I'm going to be growing on a scale at the whole time. I'll be able to tell you right exactly what the digital readout. Ah, and okay. Now let's move forward one more step. The genetics you have explained are are complicated, but you were a a part of this uh, yep. coming down the line from Howard Dill and his ability to get a uh, a pump that just keeps growing. Uh, I don't know if you call that indeterminate or not, but it yep. just keeps yep. growing until it just finally peaks out. And that length of time, from the time that the pumpkin actually is set until it stops growing, is about how long? So when I first started growing, everybody told me 60 days. That's all you're going to get. So we went ahead and, and figured 60 days, you know, and. What we didn't know is that we didn't know how to take care of the leaves and the plant and 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 health and condition, you know, your cultural practices. So we figured that's just the way it is. The leaves wear out, they're done. So now it's 120. But we've we've learned that really, yeah, 120 days and still ticking slowly. They'll do, which is a which is really, and I think it can go more than that too. What we didn't know back in the day was was fertility stuff. Like potassium moves through the plant, the older leaves, and this happens in corn and beans too, the older leaves will, the plant will suck all the potassium out of the leaves into the newer leaves, uh, where like towards the end of the pumpkin plant. And what we've learned to foliar feed to drip, I call it spoon feeding too. We we do tissue samples, everything. I actually have my own sap readers. I can, I can cut a leaf off and squeeze it to a garlic press, and I know instantly my nitrogen, my my potassium, my calcium, on and on and on. But so the older leaves will lose the potassium, and that was the reason why our plants will be all worn out and raggedy. Now, now we know the the older parts of the plant by the where you start, 
there's a certain point where the, all the potassium will be gone because the pumpkins are big potassium eaters at the end, you know. They need nitrogen to start with and phosphorus and stuff, and very little phosphorus, but we we do way we do a lot of micronutrients now. It's more boron. Boron moves the calcium, and then we keep the calcium in. People have been telling me for years that if if um, if calcium is the bus, then boron is the driver, and um, it it's true. It's really true like that. So that said, I I do tissue test often and and soil test, and in it, when I first did a greenhouse, things even took a bigger turn. I had to cool this, and I was using foggers, but I was using Des Moines city water, which I had a yellow ring around my leaves last year, and I thought, man, that, that's never happened before. And turns out I have plenty of potassium in the soil. The the soil is jacked up to no end, but then it was not available to the plant, so it became the d- d- potassium deficiency caused by too much calcium in my water. So I've changed all that even. I got a well pump that runs a timer that, has to start a relay to to pump water out of tanks and stuff. It's it's really complex, but you've got to come up. You can't beat rainwater at its finest. It's the very best there is. And um, well, let me tell people that Don Young is a tree guy. You actually make your living trimming trees, an arborist, if you will, on trees. And you are self-taught, aren't you, on all of this? I am, I am self-taught on all of this. And um, and then, so even it gets crazier. So, so I've it come up with some complex water timers because you got to work. To, you got to got to work. You can't be around your plants all day. So I used to have water that would come on up up to a thousand times a day. It would come on for three seconds out of every minute or every five minutes or whatever, an infinite amount of of watering. And that was kind of good when I had rainwater hitting and this and that. But it became a hindrance when I figured out that the the task, or the the pH out of the Des Moines City water is nine point five. I always wondered how my pH crept up through the year, you know, and, and then your, your fertilizer is unavailable. It, there's all kinds of problems that starts with and alkaline soil. And now I know, I know it's a city water. So I'm, even at that, even if I have to use city water now, I use some tanks. I have some 93% sulfuric acid that I drop just a shot glass into a 300 gallon water tank and it'll, it'll make the pH like 4.5. But it, it also smokes and fire and creates fire on top. It's the most dangerous thing you've ever seen if you if you start messing with it. But um, but it would drop the pH and that that helps me a lot. Um, but r- real rainwater is probably the very best I can do. And um, uh, you told you told me one time that you were using worm castings and making worm tea. Did yeah. you still do that? I did for a long time until my I, my organic matter got up to forty one percent, which is wow. people will just it's it's yeah it's it's beyond. But then there's 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 a trade off that becomes a lot more disease issues this and that. And I since went away from that. That's it's a compost tea is what I was making, and I I still do that once in a while, but not always. I um, my last soil test I didn't do anything prior because but I got it down to. So on the other end of the spectrum, 3% organic matter, which is not enough. So we'll be rebuilding that back up to a sweet spot, about 10 or 12. Uh, Don Young, you are uh, amazing on how much work you do ahead of time and just how much work you will spend on these pumpkins year in and year out. I quite frankly thought you would burn out by now, but you obviously haven't. But yeah. you go in ahead of time, as I remember, you make sure you've got your nutrients in the soil. You've got your organic matter where you want it. 
you do soil tests. I know A&L Labs used to make a lot of money off of you. How yep. do you get your soil ready to plant these pumpkin plants, and how many square feet do you need per plant? Uh, this trend is cheap. It used to be 400 square feet. Now it's right around 1,000 to 1,100 square feet and bigger. So the first thing I ever did, when I first started growing pumpkins, the world record was 1,262. I had a friend of mine named Andy Wolf. He came to the Iowa Fair with the pumpkin before, and, and I ended up growing his seed this year. It's one of the, one of the most famous seeds that's growing all 2365 Wolf. It's the number one seed in the world. His. So at that time, he's kind of a computer guy. He had a copy of everybody's soil test at, that had ever grown a 1,000-pound pumpkin. So he sent it to me, and I looked over all the numbers, and there's a, there's a base saturation, a cation base saturation, three little things that would be the calcium, magnesium, and potassium. Everybody was over, everybody was over a uh, 80% on their calcium, and, and then they always had twice the amount of potassium over the magnesium. And, and things. So, I, so I, I started adjusting my numbers just based on monkey see, monkey do. And, and it's worked out really good that way. And we still shoot for those numbers today. But then we, we also look at all the micronutrients and stuff like that. And so I'll say this too. I used to do it. I still, we still start off that way. That's, that's the guiding point. But these plants have become the seeds of what I'm using now. Compared to 2007, there's a whole different reason. We're not doing a whole lot of different cultural things compared. We're, we're doing, you know, microhazal fungi. We're doing things like that. But these, the genetics have improved so much that the plants grow so aggressive that, that even with the best soil, it's not enough. We spoon feed now. We, we ha I've been using – I've tried to get calcium nitrate around here, and they thought I was making a bomb. I don't know why they wouldn't have none available, you know, and – and it's a good cold, cold early nitrogen source. You know, it, it becomes available. The organics, the organics won't kick in until the soil warms up. It won't, they'll be deficient because we're starting so early and things. So, so you got to use some synthetic fertilizers. So I ended up using straight urea, forty six zero zero, which is, which is way powerful. That's 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 just a lot for a for a pumpkin plant. But you got to remember, you just use a small amount. So now we're using a a whole balanced. It's got all the micronutrients, the minerals, everything, but we use, I call it spoon feeding, so it even gets more technical. So now I have meters to measure the parts per million, the electrical conductivity of the of the water, of the soil, and we got a program we're working on where what's all, and what, what it can handle. Here's another downfall we found. So, and, and this goes back to a, an area that I don't mess with, but marijuana growers have figured it out more than anybody we first off used to steal their lighting ideas because they they had some of the best lighting ideas indoors and hidden and whatever it might be but you don't want to have over a 900 parts per million total solids in your fertilizer water okay so the thing was when i measured straight out of the tap in des moines it comes out about 400 just the calcium the minerals that's what gives the water the taste you know you're different things so it's 400 that only leaves me about 450 or so of fertilizer value to work with where rainwaters we tested it it's it's just pure it's like 0 0.003 so that becomes a factor we have to measure the amount of what the plant can take because it like clogs up the veins so to speak if you go over and it can also burn and um 
So we're constantly wa- constantly washing our, our water, our EC, and our parts per million, and I, I'm looking for an EC of about 1.8. That's that's the foot to the floorboard. That's um, that's pushing it hard, and we 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 now push them harder than ever. And um, sometimes it takes a toll on the plant. But now we're not we're not looking to grow the prettiest leaf all year long. It's it, like we want to have uh, worn out tires at the end of the year. So uh, the pumpkins, the whole deal, the plant is disposable. So um, they grow. I'll, I'll get them to grow 18 to 18 inches to two foot a day, per all the way around the vines. And I mean, they really, really grow. And um, let me uh, ask about that. You and Julie, your wife, have in past years every day gone out there as that pumpkin takes off, and literally, I think you're saving that and cover the ends of those vines as they grow out because they'll grow back down into the ground and roots. And that's a huge amount of effort. How much of the year do you have to do that, or do they keep growing the whole time? They'll grow They'll grow the whole time. Now, what we do, everywhere there's a, there's a leaf junction. You'll have a top leaf comes out. There'll be a tendril, like a little piece of curly spaghetti, and then there'll be another vine They'll continue. So what we do, we start out like a Christmas tree. I'll pinch off the extra vine. I'll just leave the side vine only going off the main, and I'll pinch off the extra vines until I get to the end. You'll call them a tertiary or, or like a, a third vine. But we do that, and then they'll also they'll grow a bottom root at that same junction, and they'll grow a top root if it's – here's something odd. This year, I'm growing on weed block. I, I burn holes into it, and I get a big – bottom i get a bigger bottom root than i ever had but i shied away from burying the vines with it's so hot and humid here in in des moines where cooler weather minnesota people wisconsin people they can get by with it they can bury them a foot deep because they're they'll have weather just like we had today it'll be cool every night and morning it's not that way heat and humidity are your enemy and i did i had zero Zero amount of rot or any soft spots or anything this year growing on this weed fabric. It's a cat of a different color, too. I'm since going to change that up a little bit. On the main vine from the stump to the to the pumpkin, I'll be I'll be c- connecting a top root. Because I had, I had some this last year as big as my forearm. The top, it was a top root that was just absolutely jaw-dropping, but it never connected to the ground. I'll be connecting them to the ground on the next year. It... Uh, we created something with a whole bunch of biostimulants and stuff. I can make things root like I've never and, – and I have pictures. I, I I put some on Facebook and stuff, but I have pictures where one root comes out and it turned into 12. 12 roots out of one leaf node, several of them coming down, and then some of these roots will get uh, big as a pool stick, if not bigger. Let's take a moment to talk with Taylor Parker, president of Concept by Iowa Hearing. Taylor, is there a correlation between an untreated hearing loss and balance or a greater chance of falling in older people? You are very correct in that, Ken. Um, You know, individuals that have even a mild hearing loss, the risk of falling triples. And every 10 decibels that your hearing hearing loss worsens, it increases your risk by 140%. So a mild untreated loss triples your risk Every 10 decibels, 140% greater for every 10 decibels. So by the time you get to a severe or, um, you know, profound, 
you're talking your chances of falling are extremely high. And how that comes into play, you know, we've talked about dementia before and, you know, that it pulls from cognitive, but the other area that your brain pulls resources from to focus on untreated hearing loss is balance and gait. So the ability, you know, you think about, you know, when you get up from a, from a chair, you don't think about getting up. Your brain says, well, I need to get up. And you just, you get up and go. Individuals that now have the, the, you know, risk of falling, they have to brace themselves. They have to, you know, use support. They actually have to think about getting up from things or, or making that move of, well, I'm going to go from here to here, or, you know, they're out on a walk and, having that spatial awareness of who's around them or what's around them, they lose that, that ability to hear that. So they lose that ability. You know, one of the, the um, big ones was um, Jack Campbell's grandfather down um, at the bowl game. He was going to step out on the street and he didn't hear his family tell him to not cross the street. And, you know, falls are the leading cause of accidental death in adults over the age of 65. So we're not talking individuals, you know, 80 and 90 years old, which, you know, they do fall in this category because typically they have a hearing loss and they're, they're just a little, their balance and gates a little more off. But we're talking the age of 65 and above is something that, you know, a lot of individuals need to, you know, understand and, you know, understand how it all plays into to every, you know, everyday life. Thank you, Taylor. Schedule your free hearing screening at Concept by Iowa Hearing. You could reach them at 877-955-4020 or online at iowahearing.com. I'm speaking with Don Young from Des Moines, who is a world-class pumpkin grower. Don won the Iowa State Fair this year with a short-season pumpkin of just over 1,200 pounds. Back in 2007, he actually grew a pumpkin that was the largest in the world, However, in the time between when he picked it and when he weighed it, it lost quite a bit of weight. He's always excited, and he has a few more stories for us today. I have a friend who has been on this show who's an avid corn and soybean grower moving into his 80s, and he gave me this quote. He says, there is no hope for the satisfied man. And every year he tries to do a better job growing those corn and soybeans, I swear, you're the epitome of that. You also yeah. buy that same philosophy, don't you? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And and the thing is, I, I can share stuff with other people all around and everything. We actually do Zoom meetings now in the winter. Um, every Thursday night we have a Zoom meeting, and we will, we will bounce things around by everybody and, and crazy ideas And because you just can't always do the same old, same old. And, and I'm I'm probably one of the ones that do more crazy things than most. And um, um so the thing is I'm going to do now with the soil because it warms up so much because I don't have the frost in the greenhouse, a plastic's coming off and we're going to leave that off, but I'm going to come up with insect netting and, and put that on. If I could keep from having to worry about all the bugs would be a big plus. You have had a lot of fame. You've earned it. Uh, you were on the Tonight Show because you won Half Moon Bay with that uh, 1650 what? Okay. 58, yep. 1658. So it wasn't yep. quite your biggest, but it got you 10 grand from Half Moon Bay and uh, yeah. yep. a trip back out there uh, to be on the Tonight Show back when Conan was doing the Tonight Show and the Grave Rigger. Uh, yep. Big car came in and jumped uh, out and, and, and smashed at, your And at that, time, 
at that particular time, it, people, there's since been a guy in Minneapolis went out there twice and set, he set the North American record in Apple Bay 2560. But at that time, back when in my day, so, so it paid big money for first, but second place was like a thousand dollars. But did I think I had a chance of winning? Um, I had the biggest things from Rhode Island to, well, actually from Ohio, biggest west. I had never, nobody, they were still in the 1400s, everybody else from the whole country west. So I was pretty confident I, I got this in the bag, you know. Nowadays, if you go out there with a pretty good sized pumpkin, it's kind of like taking a tanker truck full of gas through a forest fire. You just might get burned, and you you got to really have the weight. You know, another thing too. Ever since Bill Northey, we still talk about the photo you took, and and yeah. it's hanging in the uh, uh, Secretary of Agriculture. So, so Mike Nag yeah. now, Mike Nag. Yeah. Guess what? He stands there shoulder to shoulder with me at the way off every single year. We joke, we kid. Every single year, we're there. He got in the pictures this year, and he and actually just. An hour after the way off, I'm heading home because I was all worn out and everything. He friends me on Facebook now, just but he's one of the, one of the he's there. He he enjoys the pumpkin way off at the fair. Yeah. I never never expected a you know he's a busy guy you know. Like, what do you yeah. think uh, you have the potential of doing this year on a pumpkin by October one? Well, this particular year we we lost our other two, and so so we're uh, we're dead in the water. We're going fishing, get the fishing poles out. Uh, working on the patch and stuff. So next year, um, I, I I think we we're, we're shooting. We're always shooting for the world record. And I, here's another thing. I don't know if I ever explained this to you or not. I learned this later. So let's back up to 2007, okay? And the world record was 1502 in 2007. So I'm trucking along and I'm I'm going past 1500. And the guy I got the seat from and stuff, Ron Wallace. I'm asking him for advice. He goes, "You're in uncharted water. I don't." These things might fall in on each other after that. So so we ended up with 1662. But that particular day, I took it up to Greg Norland's barn and put it in the Morton building And because of publicity. People were all around us at the hotel. It was 100 degrees out. We opened the door, and it about knocked us down. It was probably 120 in this metal building. We put the pumpkin in there. We don't know nothing else. And we, we wait till everybody else weighs, and we weigh that pumpkin, and it's 1662. Okay. That said, we got – Deep by 27 pounds, 1689 that year. Mm-hmm. Nothing of it. Take our lickings and go on down the road. So the next year, we're not having such a great year. I'm going to take a couple to, to uh, two pumpkins, Ohio and one to Indiana. A friend of mine runs away off. He says, I know you're not going to win. You're coming for fun. So I'm going to give you a $200 bonus if you're over 1,000 pounds. Well, that's just gas money. So I thought, yeah, that makes sense. So I weigh them, and I have an accurate scale right on the money, right on the money, I weigh him, and one of them is uh, like 1,057. So I go, well, I put on the car trailer. I haul it over in the wind. Next day, they ask me, what, what's going to be a 1,057? 1,024. I said, what? Uh, and it, it actually lost, I, I forgot the exact numbers, but it lost 30, 33 or 34 pounds. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting there, and these guys are going, well, that's all right. And um, I said, I don't feel good. I'm sick. They go, what do you mean? I said, oh, I thought about, I think about last year. They go, I don't understand. I was following them on down this highway on a bright sunny day with my windshield wipers on. They had comforters on their pumpkins all wet and this and that. Yep, yep. And they 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 preserved what they had if they didn't gain, but the wind, the wind and the sun took away all my moisture the year before. So I think I screwed away a world record back in 2007. 
That well, said, I, le- I learned from my mistakes. So when I went to Half Moon Bay in 2009, I looked like a gypsy crossing the desert. I had about 15 gallons of water with me out of milk jugs and blankets and tarps and comforters. And I weighed the pumpkin ahead of time. It was 16.55. So I cut it on a Tuesday, left, went to another way off first in California. And then the following Monday, which is Columbus Day, every year they do that, I picked up three pounds and um, soaked through the skin. So I, I learned more and more and more about pumpkins and the wind. And, and at least you might not, you don't want to lose that 30 pounds, you know, in the wind. No, no. Well, this is the, this. I think you have been the creator of the golden era of these pumpkins, even though uh, Howard Dill produced a 400-pound pumpkin back in 1980. You took it to 1662, and then other people have taken it to literally 3,000 pounds, um, yep. but all on the same concept that you're you're doing. And I, I, I know you have a lot of fun at it. I know you work hard at it. Um, I know you, you, you weather disappointments, Don, as well as anybody. I recall coming out there one day and you said, Ken, this pumpkin, and it was absolutely beautiful, has rotted on the inside. And not in anger, but you just took your fist and you hit the pumpkin and you just broke through. And yep. it was rotten on the inside. And it was, oh well. And uh, you went on from there. But every once in yep. a while, you know, you, you bring it all together and the weather makes a huge difference after all these when things. Everything, said, everything the comes together. Still. Yeah. Everything can fall together and just be astronomically good year, and then then there'll be times when you're sitting sitting uh, in the stands watching everybody else and things. And yeah, it's it it can be a uh, roller coaster from one thing to the next. I predict in the next year or two, there will be a three thousand pound solid pumpkin. There really will. There's some friends of mine that are multimillionaires in the United Kingdom. They got robots that do all their potting. That's just unbelievable what they do, and and they. They are pushing the EC and everything, and they grow in a sterile mix. They steam their potting soil, and it's um, they got unlimited resources, and they um, they don't have no disease, no weeds, no nothing. But but that said, they got them doing 90 pounds a day. Here's the the results, though. I went to Boston to go in the Hall of Fame. I talked to them, and they were telling everybody, but they get they are, these guys can do 90 pounds, but the pumpkins can't hold it so far. They they had eight plants, and seven of them blew up. Flat blew up, blew, oh, yeah. blew the whole yeah. back end of the blossom out. There's a Hall of Fame now for for the GPC, which is they're the sanctioning body of most all the bigger way offs, kind of like NFL and NASCAR. Mm-hmm. So there's a Hall of Fame, and I got into that last year. And then also Animosa has a Hall of Fame. I got into that too. So uh, you have done I, extremely well. And you you do you have any plans to stop? No, no, no. It's in your blood. You ain't never never gonna never gonna stop. Never gonna stop. And um sorry you're not being able to go on this year. There is no doubt that you, you will in the future. And you don't have an expansive farm. You simply no. have a a lot and your home uh you know, over in Pleasant Hill, right? Yep, yep. Just a half acre total yard and um just just, just enough room to grow with three now. So we're gonna revamp our thing and and um, what I do need is my my dirt to get cold, get froze, and put the coolness back into the clay soil down deep. And I will have that working without this plastic. And we're going to do a modification. We may have plastic on it from late February through 
about uh, Mother's Day, maybe a little bit, maybe, maybe not quite to the end of May, and the plastic got to come back off again. So it, it's a labor of love. You got to have it, and uh, we'll have a short-term greenhouse, then a greenhouse, and then then the stuff back off. And because um, I need to use my wind, my my dirt tunnels to blow 100% dry air on the main and the and the vine, and and that's what happens when it goes down through these tunnels. It it condensates just like today in August, you get up this morning, you got dew all over your windshield and, and your grass, and that's what happens down in the cold clay. When my hot, humid air goes in, it comes out bone dry because it, it all collects in these tubes, and that's another benefit that I can can take away the humidity on the main and stuff. So Don Young, world-class pumpkin grower and uh, one of the most delightful people to talk pumpkins I've ever been around. Thank you for sharing uh, all of your enthusiasm and your expertise here on this podcast. You're welcome, Ken. It's been great, great talking to you again. Well, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. If you listen to podcasts on your podcast provider, Better Than Nothing is there. And all you have to do is subscribe. And each time I produce another one, it'll show up. Thanks for listening. I'm Ken Root.